the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of law. You have the right to an attorney and to have an attorney present during any questioning. If you cannot afford an attorney, one will be provided for you. These are the Miranda rights. We've heard them before, either in a movie, TV show, or in person. It's a statement of our constitutional rights, and it's recited by officers to inform the arrested of those rights. But what's the story behind this statement? Why and how was it created? Well, June marks the anniversary of a landmark decision from the U.S. Supreme Court that established the Miranda rights. The case, Miranda v. Arizona. Ernesto A. Miranda, petitioner versus Arizona. This is History's Forgotten Headlines, Miranda Behind the Rights. Mr. Chief Justice, may it please the court, this case concerns itself with the conviction of a defendant of two crimes of rape and kidnapping. That audio you just heard is the actual recording of the Supreme Court hearing for Miranda v. Arizona in 1966. But before we get into that part of the story, there's a lot you need to know first. And we do want to warn you, the crime that led up to the hearing is disturbing. It happened three years earlier in 1963 in Phoenix, Arizona. One night in March, an 18-year-old woman was walking home from her bus stop when she was suddenly grabbed by a man. He dragged her into his car, threw her into the back seat, and tied her up. He drove around for some time, and then he stopped his car and raped her. He then got back into the driver's seat, drove to the area of the bus stop, and left her. A terrible act of violence. But not long after, the man responsible was found. The victim's brother was the one who identified the suspect who was driving the same vehicle he used to commit the crime. So the man was brought in and placed into a police lineup where the victim picked him out. He was officially arrested and interrogated by police. Then, after two hours of questioning, 23-year-old Ernesto Miranda confessed to the crimes of kidnapping and rape. One problem, though. At no point before or during the interrogation did police tell Miranda about his Fifth and Sixth Amendment rights. That's the right to remain silent and the right to an attorney. We may take for granted the knowledge of those rights now, but at the time, no one really knew what was or wasn't allowed inside a police station. A law professor from Michigan who spoke with uscourts.gov explains. People were very confused about what their rights were. They had no idea what their rights were. The police certainly didn't do anything to clarify the situation. The police acted as if suspects had no rights. They kept questioning them as if they were entitled to an answer. So Miranda gave police a signed confession, which ended up being critical, but not just for what would eventually transpire, but because that confession was the major piece of evidence used against him in his trial. His attorney tried to get it thrown out, but was unsuccessful. Fast forward, 
Miranda was convicted and sentenced to 20 to 30 years in prison. His attorney later appealed to the Arizona Supreme Court, which upheld the conviction, and that set the stage for the highest court in the land. Number 759, Ernest Miranda, Petitioner versus Arizona. Being able to hear the actual audio from this Supreme Court hearing is fascinating, and it gives us a clear perspective of the mindset of the situation in 1966. Here's Miranda's attorney making his case. The other voice you'll hear is one of the justices. Under the facts and circumstances in Miranda, of a man of limited education, uh, of a man who certainly is mentally abnormal, who is certainly an indigent, that when that ad- adversary process uh, came into being, that the police, at the very least, had an obligation to extend to this man not only the, his clear Fifth Amendment right, but to afford to him the right of counsel. Well, I suppose if you really mean what you say, or what you gather, adversary process starts at that point, then every single protection of the Constitution then comes into being. Uh, does not the right to, you have to bring a jury in there, I suppose. No, Your Honor, I wouldn't bring a jury in. I simply would extend to the man those constitutional rights which the police would at that time take it away from him. See, Miranda's attorney was essentially arguing that Miranda was too poor and too uneducated to know his rights. He only had an eighth grade education. So the attorney argued it falls on the police or someone of authority to inform Miranda of his rights, and they failed to do so before he gave his confession, which was eventually used against him in a court of law. Now, here's the argument from the attorney for Arizona. If we are talking about equality between the rich and the poor, we are striving for a worthy objective. If we are talking about equality between the policeman and the criminal, we are on dangerous ground. For about an hour, the two sides argue their points. But here's where it seems like the case really takes a turn. This could be one of the key points of when the Miranda rights started to be formed. Here's Miranda's attorney getting a question from one of the justices. Let us assume that he was advised of these rights. In your opinion, does it make any difference when he was advised, that is, uh, whether he was advised at the commencement of the interrogation or in an early stage of the interrogation, or uh, whether he was advised uh, only when uh, he was ready to sign the confession, the written confession? Assuming for a moment that that some uh, warning is going to be required or should have been given or is it, then I would think uh, to be of any effect it must be given before he'd made any statement. The arguments then come to an end and it leaves the justices with a decision to make. With a five to four decision, the Supreme Court ruled Miranda's constitutional rights were violated and determined detained criminal suspects prior to police questioning must be informed of their rights to an attorney and against self-incrimination. But it sounds like even the five justices who ruled in favor of Miranda were reluctant. Chief Justice Earl Warren wrote in the court's opinion, 
the court is taking a real risk with society's welfare and imposing its new regime on the country. The social costs of crime are too great to call the new rules anything but a hazardous experimentation. Miranda has been, shall we say, subdued quite a bit and poses much less a threat to the police than the original Miranda opinion handed down in 1966. But it's still very important symbolically, and it's still very important to people that they know that they do have rights in the police station because uh, before Miranda was decided, it was unclear whether they had any rights at all. As for Ernesto Miranda, his conviction was overturned after the SCOTUS ruling, but he was retried, this time without his confession. And he was convicted once again and received the same sentence of 20 to 30 years. But he only served 11, and it's reported that once he got out, he had Miranda cards made that he would sign and then sell. A bit of irony here, Miranda would later violate his parole and ended up back in prison. After another year, he was released once again, and just weeks after that release, he was stabbed to death in a bar fight in Phoenix. A man was arrested for his murder, but decided to exercise his right to remain silent, and was released without being charged. And we'll leave you with that. I'm Justin Doherty, and while the headlines may be forgotten, just don't forget about us.